Amen. Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to witness you for who you are. You are the worthy one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Man, as we continue to worship you in your word, I pray that it would do its work in our lives. I don't need to make the word come alive. It's just alive. May it fall on living ears. May it go deep from our head into our heart that it would conform us into the image of your son. Not by my power, but by the power of the spirit of the living God who is in this place this morning. We pray all of this for the fame and the glory of your name, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat while you're grabbing your Bibles and you're finding our passage today, which is um, at the end of your Bible in Revelation chapter 1. I want to ask you a question. We're wrapping up the I Am series. It's been a great 10 or 12 weeks, however long it's been, that we've been talking about the I Am's up there. But I want to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you this just to be a, a, a quiet talk. It's the first talking points question. It's in your handout um, that you have on the back of your handout. But it's, what are you afraid of? What types of things make you anxious about the future? Where is Christ in these things? Again, don't answer out loud. But I want, you to, I want you to just take a minute and ask, okay, what, what are the things that make my heart anxious? And the question of where is Christ in those things is a question that's also the answer. right? Because the things that make us anxious are the places we don't find Christ. I'm not talking about the circumstances. Like, we have real things and real problems. Our world is really broken. Right? We have real struggles. But when those things turn into fear and anxiety and worry and even anger, it's because we have not inserted Christ into them. Like, we don't, what we just said, we don't trust him. But if we really believe he is who he says he is, that song that Abby introduced us into, that he's done what he said he's done, that we are who he says we are, then when we, even in our leaking and our brokenness and our weakness, when we interject him back into those spaces, fear flees. It just has to. Because there is no place in his presence for that to occur. So I could think of no better way to finish the series on the I Am's than to look at the end of the book. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1 and several other places. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and somebody will find one for you because you're going to want to read along as we read today. But guys, I, I, I've taught through this passage and we're going to read through Revelation chapter 1. I've taught through it several times in great detail. That's not what today's message is about. Today, so I'm not gonna. I'm gonna skip a few things, just be, and it's gonna frustrate some of you, and that's okay. But what today really is about is, okay, God is like literally turning the page in His Word from what was to what is to come, and we're living in that space. His Word gives us wisdom in how to live in the what is, 
and gives us hope in the what is to come. And we need to spend some time here to go, okay, so how can this help me? Well, what, the biggest way is what, what I titled the message, by remembering that he already always is ahead of you. Guys, whatever is going on in your life right now, tomorrow, next week, this year, and every year until he returns, he is, God is always previous. Regardless of what you believe about predestination or any of those, guys, here's the reality. God is always first. Always. He always moves first. He just does. We are constantly walking into the unknown of our future, which leads to those things I was talking about earlier in the question today. He is always walking out of our future back to us today, going, hey, just follow me and I'll lead you right where I, right where I just was. That's how we can trust him. So the question we're asking today is, why can you have like, like a genuine excitement, a positive outlook about your future? What, why can you have that? Like, Why as believers can we, even as we look back at 2021 or 2020 and 2021, one long run on sentence, and we look forward to, to, to 2022 and beyond, how can we do that with like just great expectation? Great excitement. Well, here's the answer and what we're going to see in this passage. Because we walk with the Almighty One who holds the keys of death and life and invites us to, into what He's doing in the world. Guys, part of why, I, I just want to back up a step and, and sort of the last point first right now. Part of why we struggle with things like worry and anxiety is because we are living our lives consistent, are consumed in self. Right? Like where you are right now, what you're doing, who's been nice to you, who's been mean to you, what's your bank account, what's your 401k look like. Like it's all, and if, and if we would just start living kingdomly, giving our lives away to other people, guys, watch and see how that doesn't improve your outlook individually, your marriage, your family. It's, it is amazing. We, we have to stop Blaming God for the way our life is when the reason our life is the way it is is because we're doing nothing with Jesus. I didn't say for Jesus. We're doing nothing with Jesus. And that's where we're going to end the message, Lord Willings. But, but now, let's start at the beginning, the beginning of the message. So the question becomes, how, the question we're looking at is, how can we have great confidence in our future, great excitement, great expectation? Well, one, we walk with the worthy one. Look at Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now get this, there's this threefold blessing that he starts the book with, that he starts the revelation of, the unveiling of. So that's what revelation is, it's an unveiling of what is to come. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Two, blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. And the third one is, and blessed are those who keep what is written in the words of this prophecy. For the time is near. Guys, uh, we'll see just in this chapter, God marks time, even though he stands outside of it. 
it is okay to let like the new year invite you into an, a new commitment. It's part of why we have baptisms on the first Sunday of every year, right? Because it's a great demonstration of stepping into that new commitment. God marks times. That's what all the feasts of Israel were about. Why? Because he knows we are a leaky people. We are a forgetful people. So he's saying we need ways, not he doesn't, we need ways to mark time in our lives that we would reset and walk faithfully. And he's saying, man, this is one of those times because the time is near. Look at verse 4. John, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of this earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Back to the prayer time. It is finished. Right? He, John, John is telling us that. And man, I know I just skipped a whole bunch of stuff that I've taught on before. We're going to keep going. He has made us a kingdom, priest to his God, and Father, Christ has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who have pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. So be it, is what he's saying there. Guys, he is, right there, right, right there in verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Guys, that ought to tell us like, where our confidence is set. Right? Do we believe he is coming back? Right? If he did come the first time, what we celebrated at Christmas, his first advent, and he promised to come the second time, the question is, do we believe the promise that this book, the book of the Bible, speaks to from beginning to end, but specifically Revelation talks about? Do we believe he is returning? If we really believe he is returning, one, would we live very, would we, we, we would live very differently, and two, our outlook would be very different. It would be an uplook. Right? We would be looking for, and that's what John is telling us here, look forward to, but, he, but here's the only way any of that works, is if we understand who he really is. And I don't just mean understand intellectually, I mean like down deep in our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotion all like gather together and go, I believe, Lord. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are coming back. Now, who is the he? Well, look what he says right there in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now you might read that and go, wait a minute, that's not talking about Jesus. Yes, it is. How do I know? Well, keep your finger here. Turn to Revelation 21, verse 6. Very end of the book. So we're going to turn there because it's easy to find since it's in the book we're in. Look at Revelation 21, verses 6 and 7. This is at the end of time as we know it. I love this passage because we live in this, it is finished, already finished, but not yet done. Here's where he says in verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. There's a, that day's coming. Because that's why we can have confidence in, in our future. That day is coming. Jesus finishes what he starts and he's not hoping he'll get it right. 
And then he goes on to say, I am, oh wait, here we are, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To, to the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will, be, will have this as their heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And you might still say, wait a minute, that's not still clear that that's Jesus speaking. Well, turn, if you would, to the very end, chapter 22 and verses 12 and 13. Behold, look is what that word means in the Greek. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Every one of those Alphas and Omegas, every one of those I Ams is the I Am who is Jesus Christ. So turn back, if you would, to Revelation chapter 1. So how do we have confidence in how we're living, like in what our future holds? The first is, we follow the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who will bring an end to all things, and it is His end. God, not only is God always previous, God never hopes. Right? He, he calls us to hope, to put our hope in Him, to put our hope in our future in him, to put our hope in his promises. We just spent time praying that and singing that. But he never hopes. Why? He doesn't have to. He knows. Right? There is, he doesn't need a confident expectation. He expects nothing. Because he is who he is. That's who we follow, guys. We just need to live like that. So practically, especially in a world that is so broken, as we look at how can we live in confidence of our future, one, we walk with the Almighty, but two, practically present day, He is the one who holds the keys to death and life. He isn't just the one who's working all things together for good. He is the one who actually holds life and death in His hand. And that's becoming ever more evident in our world, even in what we were just praying about. Look at verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation of the kingdom and the patient endurance that, that is in Christ Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus. So guys, if you don't know your church history very well, the, the, although this is not biblical, the church history says that the, the apostle John, who was the last apostle left alive, all the others had been martyred, he was boiled in oil, and then somehow, by the grace of God, lived and was exiled on an island by himself when he gets this revelation about Jesus. My point in sharing that is to say, guys, we have this idea that somehow the gospel is losing because it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian in this country. I don't think any of us have been boiled in oil and exiled on an island. Now, are there parts of the world where Christians are being like really persecuted? Absolutely. But, but we... Part of our big struggle as American Christians, guys, is that, that 
that we have started to get discouraged because we believe that somehow the gospel is losing. Because Christianity in America is weak. That's not his fault. It's ours. And ultimately has nothing to do with the power of the gospel or who he is. And I'll just leave it there because if I get off on a tangent, it'll take up way too much time. But look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard him, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Guys, I, I just want to pause there for just a minute. And I want to ask you a question Are you making room for worship? Are you making room for worship? That's what, that's what I get out of verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have been upset. He was alone. He could have been going, man, God, I have fo- I, Jesus, I followed you from the time I was young. I stood there at the foot. I was one of the only dudes that was actually there at the foot of the cross. I took care of your mom, and this is the thanks I get. And yet, what's he doing on the island of Patmos? He's worshiping. Right? He's worshiping because he knows who he worships. This is why we have these sheets. I've emailed them out a few times. There's still some in the lobby. These walking with Jesus in 2022 about how to like set some goals for the new year. Because this is not a, the problem with resolutions. And I sent this out in an email. If you're not getting those, let us know. But is that we do them poorly. We focus on the wrong things, and we tend to focus on the negative things. Right? One, very few of our resolutions for the new year have anything to do with kingdom living. And two, if if they do, it tends to be on what we're going to stop. Make your goals for 2022, your reset for 2022, positive things. Here's what, God, here's what I'm going to do with Jesus. And watch and see that you're not making room for him to work in your life. Why do we need to do that? Here's why. We are all idol worshipers. Guys, we are. Keep your finger in Revelation. Turn back, if you would. You don't have to keep your finger there. We'll be in Acts for a minute. But turn back to Acts 17. I want to show you a scene where the Apostle Paul, who by the time John writes Revelation has already been executed. I mean, he's been dead for 20 years probably. Again, church history says that he was beheaded. I mean, we know he was executed. We just don't know how. And, and that the Apostle Paul, towards, towards the latter half of his ministry... In Acts 17 and verse 22, he is talking to the world. He is in as worldly a city as there was in his world that day. He he went to Vegas, right? Or, or, Or you could say he went to Wall Street or went to L.A. Or frankly, you could say he went to Peoria, Arizona because we are all idol worshipers. And look at what he says. I'm going to pick it up in verse 22. He says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the... Areopagus, sorry, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. What he's saying is, You guys are all worshiping something. For I passed along and observed objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's saying, Guys, you worship, you're, you're all worshipers. We all are, guys. Tim Keller says it this way, we all worship. Every human being that has ever lived is a worshiper. The only choice we have is what? We, every person you interact with is a worshiper. 
the question is, what are they worshiping? And he's like, you guys took it so far that just in case you weren't worshiping the right thing, you made up a God that just was like, we don't know what this one is, but we're going to worship it too. And he says, but, but I'm telling you, I pro- I'm proclaiming this unknown God to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives, all, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted, here's that time stuff again, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He's in charge of all of it. He says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Because there's a lot of theology there that we will talk about in the Roman series. But man, there's some really powerful stuff here. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. Now look at the first half of verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Guys, the reason we lack confidence in our future is one of the big reasons is because we are idol worshipers. And, our, and, and, and our, we all are, every one of us, me too. And when our idols get attacked or we're worried that they're going to go away or get taken away, we worry, we fret, and we get angry. You want to know what one of your kids' idols is? Take it away from them. And when they react, like young people in the room, when your parents are like, hey, give me your phone or give me your whatever or give me that book that you have and you like throw a tantrum, the reason you're throwing a tantrum is because that thing is an idol. And they say, yeah, okay, but I've seen my parents throw some tantrums too about stuff like that. And I'm like, amen. Me too. Right? Kids aren't the only ones that throw tantrums. We just throw them a little differently sometimes. Sometimes we don't. But we throw tantrums on social media. We throw tantrums towards each other. We throw tantrums in emails. We throw, guys, why? Because our idols are being attacked. Does not absolve us from responsibility. Doesn't absolve us from being engaged in things. Doesn't, it does, I'm not, it just, it means keeping stuff in the proper place. If you're living in fear and anxiety of the future, or if that fear and anxiety is now being masked by anger, which I talked about last week or the week before, which is what we all tend to do with it because anger is a safe emotion in our society now. So it all, everything, to fear turns to anger. Sadness turns to anger. It just, we just tend to do that. If those things are happening in your life, it's because your idols are being attacked. Ask yourself why that thing is so important to you it would have this effect on your emotions. Right? That thing, unless that thing is Jesus, a who and not a what, is an idol. It's just the way it is. I love the C.S. Lewis quote that says this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for some other world. Right? That's our biggest problem. So now let's go back to our passage in Revelation where John is making room in, for worship because he isn't an idol worshiper. He's worshiping the one true God, Jesus Christ. And before I move on, let me, let, I'm going to ask the second talking points question here. Because I do, want, I, do, I do want to get some input from you guys. And I need to get a drink. Because I can't even talk right now. 
So here's the second talking points question. It's on, again, it's on your handout if you need it. What do, what do you do to stay grounded in the truth of his revelation and anchored to the reality of his power so that you can combat the fear we often feel with the faith he has given us? So how do you stay anchored to truth to combat fear? Now, now before I start asking for input, here's what I'm going to take off the table. Reading, your word, reading the word every day and prayer are not allowable answers in this case. Why? Because if you've been here for two weeks, you know that's our thing. I know that the two biggies for that, that, is read, read, remind, renew your mind with the truth of God and pray. Be in conversation with God. I get that. What other ways, above and beyond those two, can you stay anchored to the truth so that you can fight fear with faith? I'm asking. Now I'm asking. Audra. So I, it's a, just a one for the people that are listening online and also just for the rest of us that maybe you couldn't hear, although you did a great job of, of speaking loudly, Audra, thank you. Um, but I, in a word, it was almost like fellowship, like fellowship with other people, but specifically people who are more mature, more confident, more like their walk is stronger so that you can glean from that. They're, they're, and there's massive truth to that. And then, and then I heard, and she was keeping it positive, and I appreciate that about you, Audra, but then the other piece would be avoiding those people especially the professing Christians who are just as negative as the world is. Right? We, I ain't got time for that. I just don't anymore. Like I, that's one of my goals for 2022 is to not waste time talking to people that are professing faith in Christ and are just angry about the world but are doing nothing for kingdom living. I just don't have time for that. Time is short, eternity is long, hell is real, and people are still going there. What else? Service to others. Awesome. Give your life away. Say so spending time with people that actually are in struggles gives you perspective that your God is real mm. and your faith is real. Mm. So spending time with people that are in struggles like actually helps you like like we talked about that was it last week or the week before? Like like when that we that that sometimes Jesus orchestrates the storms. Why? Because then his glory is revealed. Right? And, and so, when we're, whether the storm is in our life or we're just walking with someone who else is in a storm and we're watching the glory be revealed, even if from an earthly perspective that, that situation ended in death, like with what we just prayed during our prayer time with Jesse and Corey's cousin, who I did not know you were, were you here then or not? I don't know. But anyway, um, so like, like it, that, that outcome may not have been what we were praying for, and it wasn't. But ultimately, the, being in this together allows God's glory to be revealed to Jesse and Corey and then through Jesse and Corey. One more. Jolene. Mm. Amen. Reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past in our lives, because if he did it before, he'll do it again. Guys, that is, how do we know that's a biblical principle? Because it's all over the New Testament. All over the New Testament. 
It's all over the Old Testament too. Like all over and over, whenever there's a long prayer or a long song, what most it's, they are rehearsing God's story, the gospel, even before Jesus came, over and over and over again. Peter does it. We'll see it when we go to baptisms. Peter does it. When he says, repent and be baptized, what is that coming out of? Reviewing God's faith. This is, who, this is who God is. This is what he's done. And now here's what he's doing now. You gotta trust him. Like that's what Peter's doing. That's what we need to be doing. Good. So let's keep going in our, in our point. So we're looking at, he is the one who holds life and death. And we'll keep going here. He says, say, um, saying, so, sorry. So I heard the, loud, the voice of a, of a loud trump, of, like a voice of a loud trumpet, verse 10, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now remember that. I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now remember that too, that, that the Son of Man is standing in the middle of the lampstands. It'll come up in our, in our last point here in just a minute. But, but what John is pointing us back to is the passage in Daniel that we read during our calling passage. And I'm going to go ahead and just, ha, just turn there because, yeah, because it's worth looking at again. So turn back to, your, to the left, back to Daniel. So Daniel is between where we are in Revelation, obviously, and the Psalms and the Proverbs. That if you get to the big books of like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you've gone too far. And you look at Daniel chapter 7. And I'm just going to read verses 13 and 14. Jeff read the whole passage as our calling. But in verse 13 and 14, it says this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there was one like the Son of Man. That was the Old Testament term, Daniel's term specifically, for the Messiah, for the Christ. Right? But here's the cool thing. It was also Jesus' favorite title for himself. He called himself the Son of Man more than anything else. Why? Because it was his way of going, I'm the fulfillment of the promises. I'm the fulfillment of the promises. Right, because right here in Daniel, I am the, the Son of Man. Now look at what it says. He came to the Ancient of Days and, and was presented before him. And to him was given, to, to the Son of Man, to Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that will not be destroyed. Guys, those are pretty forever words. His kingdom is an ever, or his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom will never, no, never be destroyed. He wins. He wins, so we win. And you go, yeah, but that, that's really cool, but, but, but you know, John could have you know, just made that up because he didn't know he was on an island. John didn't write that. Daniel did. When did Daniel write that? 600 years before Jesus came the first time. You say, well, yeah, but Daniel was just a good man and God was... Guys, where was Daniel when he wrote that? Babylon. You think our world is bad. You think our nation is going to you know where. He was living in the heart of it. How does he stay so positive? The answer is because he knows who his God is. And not just knows who his God is, he's living for his God. So God keeps showing up in his life. You want to have a life like Daniel, where, like, where you're like, man, if God, well, yeah, but Doug, if God would just show up like he showed up in Daniel's life, then I would do, I would, I would like live my life for the kingdom like Daniel did. No, that's, that's completely backwards. 
Live your life for the kingdom and God will show up. If we're not living our life for the kingdom, why would God show up? Not to punish us, but he doesn't need to. God is about his kingdom work, not our comfort. And we have got to, we got to be, if you want to be like Daniel, we've got to be doing kingdom stuff. So let's go back to Revelation and keep going. So he's pointing us back in, in there at the first half of verse 13. Then he says, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest that speaks of Christ's majesty. His hair is, his hair, the hair of his head is white like wool, like snow that speaks of Christ's purity. His eyes are a flame of fire and his feet are like burns, burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his, and his voice is like the roar of many waters that speaks to Christ's authority. Now get this part. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And in, from his mouth come a sharp two-edged sword. And his faith was, face was like the sun shining in full strength. Here's what John is telling us in verse 16. This is what Christ is doing now. He's saying, now, here's what's in his right hand. There are seven stars, and from his mouth come a two-edged sword. Those seven stars, and we'll see it in our last point, or we'll see it in just a minute, actually. Those seven stars are, have to do with the church. And the sharp two-edged sword is the word. What God is doing in the world today, what Christ is doing in the world today, is the church by his word. And that's ultimately what verse 16 is trying to show us here. Now let's look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he laid his right hand on me. How gracious. I mean, he's just, Jesus is always gracious. For fear not, I am the first and the last. It's just another way of saying I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Guys, here's the thing. It all comes down to this. We're about to land this plane. It all comes down to this verse. I am the living one, but I died. But I'm alive. I am currently living. I did die. I did come to life. What is that called? What do we call that in the church? The resurrection. Guys, if Jesus did come, Christmas, we celebrated that, and he did. And if he did die, and he did. And if he rose again, and he did, what are you going to do about it? Guys, the resurrection changes everything. You want to talk about newness of life? That's it. That's what it is. But what do we do with the resurrection? Like, what are we doing with living the resurrected light? life? Guys, in, in light of who he is and what he's done, what are you doing? The resurrection is a historical fact. There are so many books out there that are written by dudes that were trying to disprove the resurrection that came to faith in Christ because they realized they couldn't. Because outside of the Bible, you can demonstrate that the tomb was empty. And if the tomb was empty, what are we going to do about that? I think we have, it's the weirdest thing. I think in the church we have so like downplay, like it's almost like it's so common, the resurrection, that we forget the impact it should have. Or, like we do with most things, we've made, we've made the resurrection completely personal. Well, yeah, his resurrection allows me to be resurrected. It's the passage that Josh wrote about I'm a new creation, right? I, I get all that, and there's certainly truth to that. But the resurrection does more than that. It is the first fruits of the resurrection that is to come when it is done. 
all of it gets resurrected. Some to eternal punishment and some to eternal life and all of creation made new like it was in the garden. But part of what we, like, I don't think we just, I don't think even, even, I, don't, I know I, I'll just speak to me. I don't, I know I do not spend enough time going, man, if, if the resurrection is real, and it is, why do I live like I do? Like my life, guys, you want to know how the apostles, why the apostles all lived the way they did? And died the way they did? Because they believed the resurrection. Why? Because they were there. The only reason they were willing to go to their death the way they did was because they knew the tomb was empty. And because they knew the tomb was empty, they're like, man, this, this world can't be all there is. It can't be. They're, 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 he had to go somewhere. They're probably looking at each other like, so what, what happened? And then they went, man, if, if since he did go, and yes, he promised to come again, and yes, he's going to restore all things, then man, I ought to live very differently. And so they did. And they died differently. And so did many people throughout church history because they believed the resurrection was real. They believed the tomb was empty. So, the question we're looking at is how can we have great confidence in our future? One, we walk with the, one, the Almighty One who holds the keys of life or death and life and he invites us to, into what he is doing in the world. Look at the last couple of verses, and we're going to land this plane here and go into our time of response and baptism. And um, In verse 19, he says, Write, therefore, or if your translation, um, a lot of translations translate it the way it's, or the word order in the Greek is, therefore, write. There, and remember, whenever we get to the word therefore, and the reason I bring that up is when we get to the word therefore, we ask the question, why is it there? The, what the therefore is there for a reason. Therefore. So he's saying, in light of something, do something. So in light of everything he, in light of who Jesus is, in verses 12 through 18, therefore, the things you have seen, the things that are, the things that take, the things that take place after this, so there's the, there's the outline of human history, in light of who he is and what he's done, in light of his story, he's inviting us to tell it to people. Now how do I get that out of, these, out of this passage? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Look, look at verse 20. He says, As to the mystery of the seven stars, remember I told you to remember that and hang on to that, as to the mystery of the seven stars, which was part of what um, John saw, in, in my right hand, this is Jesus saying, as it regarded the seven stars and the seven lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, and the seven churches are the seven lampstands. Or, I'm sorry, the stars are the seven, let me start over. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I have the church, I have my church in my right hand. The angels are, are a symbol of the power he has given to his church. Because the right hand is the symbol of power in their culture. He's saying, in my right hand, I hold the power. And the power is in the church. And then he says, and oh, by the way, I stand in the middle of it. Because remember what we saw in verse 13? In the midst of the lamp stands one like the Son of Man. He's saying, not only do I have the power and I give the power to the church, I stand in the middle of the church. The church matters to Jesus. 
Now, I get that there's a lot of bad things and a bad experiences and, and, and abuse of authority and all kinds. And I get why there are people that are angry at the church. And I would invite you to pursue them and remind them that Jesus cares about the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. This whole letter of Revelation is to the church. It's not, it's not to the individual sitting at home. right? It's to the gathered body of believers. The stars are, are the power in his right hand. The lampstand is him standing in the middle of it. The question becomes, what are we doing about that? And, the, and, and I would follow that question up with, oh, I would answer that question with, what are we doing about that? Is because we are, get this, we are what Jesus is doing today in the world. Because in a very, in a very real sense, not, not in a total sense, in a very real sense, we are Christ in the world. Now, I don't just mean, oh, yeah, well, I know we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I mean, we are Christ. Now, where do I get that? Well, one of your readings this week is in Acts chapter 9, where Paul, the Saul, becomes Paul. And he's been persecuting the church. But when Jesus shows up, does he say, and knocks him off his donkey, and, and, Paul, and Saul at that point is like going, I don't know what just happened to me. And he says, I am Jesus Christ whom you are persecuting. Was Paul persecuting Jesus? He didn't even, he didn't even know Jesus. I mean, he must have known of Jesus, obviously, but he didn't, he, Jesus was already dead, risen again. He's persecuting the church. He's ravaging the church is what it says in, in Acts 9. And yet Jesus equates what Paul is doing to the church with what Paul is doing to him. He says, you're persecuting me. Because it's not just because he's, oh, well, you know, they're, they're my people and I love them. He's saying, I am them. They are me. We are, not in a total sense, in any sense of the word, and individually, not in any sense, perfect sense, and even corporately, not in a perfect sense. We are what Jesus is doing in the world today. He has made us to be a kingdom people, meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory. So as the music team comes up and we go into our time of response, I want to ask you, like, there are two kingdoms. There's only two. There's his kingdom, and then there's the kingdom of the world that's controlled by Satan. That's, that's, that's the, 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 the ruler is Satan, is what God's word tells us. There's still work to be done in Christ's kingdom. So the question becomes, are you willing to do the work? Right? Are you willing to engage? Like, how do you know whose camp you're living in? And, I don't, and guys, I don't mean unto salvation. We'll get there in a minute with baptisms. I mean, like, practically living your life. Whose camp are you living in? Are you spending most of your time focused on worldly things? If you are, you're in the enemy camp, by definition. It's just the way it is, right? What are you doing? I guess the, I, the, another way to say it would be, what are you doing for and with the church? What does he want us to be doing? Well, he tells us. He didn't, didn't keep it a secret. He tells us in Matthew 18. All, or Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 28. He says in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All of it. Therefore, because all authority has been given to me and I made you kingdom people, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then the verse we really like, and lo, I'll be with you always. All the days, even to the end of the age, he says. 
Guys, here's what we've got. We've got to be a people. This was the phrase that God gave me a couple weeks ago. We have got to be a people that run to the roar. Because that's where he is. Yeah, I get that Satan is a, is a, is a lion, prowl, a roaring lion prowling around, but he's a lion on a leash. Right? Our king is the lion of Judah. And when we see where he's working in a life, in a situation, when we hear the roar, we need to run to it. And if you will, you'll find him there. Now the question becomes, if we back up at the very end, and this is where we're going to go into our time of response, and they're going to do a song, um, and then we're going to have baptisms. Um, during that song, you got a three-by-five card. Here's what I would ask you to do with your three-by-five card. Write down two or three words that you want this next year to be marked by. What do you want to give? I'm not talking about, st- I, remember, resolutions, goals, don't, don't make them negative. Here's what I want to give. I want to stop. Don't, don't do that. Make, that. That's for some other day. I'm talking about right now, when we sit here a year from now, in 2023, if the Lord tarries and we're all still here, what do you want this next year to be marked by? What are like two or three things? And I want you to write them down. And I want you to put them on the wall over there and give them to God and say, God, I'm committing that this year, this is what I'm going to do with you, not for you. This is not about what are you doing for Jesus. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. But if you'll do something with him, if you'll run to the roar, he will show up in your life in ways that you can't even imagine. That's when Christianity gets exciting. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you, Lord. I do want to pray that we would hear the roar. And that when we do, we would run to it because that's where you are. And Lord, right now as we respond to what we've just heard in this message and and spend some time with baptisms and just celebrating new life in Christ, Lord, I want to pray that you would remind us that you're already there. And that what you want is for us to run to you and come to you so that we can have that experience of, of walking with you. What you want is withness. That's our best witness. So help us, Lord. Help us to be a people that, that walk with you. And then just let the things that we're doing for you flow from that. Lord, reset our priorities as a people for your glory in Jesus' name.